Hello there and welcome once again to Insight Peterborough. I'm Devin Wilkins. Insight Peterborough is a project of the Peterborough chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind, otherwise known as the CCB. And if you'd like to get more information about what the CCB is all about, all you have to do is send an email to ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. That's ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. October is Dyslexia Awareness Month, and I chatted with Alicia Smith, who is the Chief Executive Officer of International Dyslexia Association, Ontario. And uh, there are lots of exciting things going on. Well, hello, Alicia, and uh, thank you for uh, being on the program. Thank you so much for having me. So can you explain a little bit about the uh, IDA Ontario? Thanks, yes. So IDA Ontario is the International Dyslexia Association, Ontario branch. So we um, offer, we're a charity and we offer information and support to individuals with dyslexia and their family, families and also to the teachers and other professionals who work with them. So we have a big focus on providing uh, teacher training uh, that is aligned with the evidence-based therapies for individuals with dyslexia. Okay. What is the uh, definition of dyslexia? So dyslexia is a specific learning disability that affects word-level reading, writing, and very often also spelling. Um, it's sometimes considered an unexpected difficulty in learning to read. Um, however, that is a little bit more to do with a common sort of common ideas about how reading develops than it actually does with dyslexia. Um, because we know that individuals who have dyslexia can actually learn to read very well if they are provided with appropriate support very early on. And if their areas of difficulty are identified when they're in kindergarten, many of them can actually avoid the reading difficulties that are associated with dyslexia. That's terrific. Do we know anything about the cause of dyslexia? So there's a number of different things that are known about the cause of dyslexia. So there's um, certainly a genetic component. So dyslexia runs in families, uh, but it's not one specific gene. At this point, I believe there are a number of different genes, but as well as environmental factors that sort of work together to, um, to express as dyslexia. Um, so there's certainly that. There's also um, a, a, maybe not the cause of dyslexia, but the the severity of the dyslexia is certainly impacted by the way that a child is taught um, starting in school. So we know that if um, kids are taught using evidence-based instructional methods, that the number of children who are experiencing the symptoms of dyslexia, that, that extreme difficulty with learning to read, actually goes down. Okay. And how many people... Do you have any figures or statistics on how many uh, people dyslexia might affect? Yes. So 
the, the number of people who are affected by dyslexia really depends on uh, the definition and, and where you draw the cutoff in terms of how, how difficult it needs to be before we consider it dyslexia. Um, but most researchers will use um, a cutoff point somewhere between 10 and 20%. So they'll say about 10 to 20% of people are affected with dyslexia in some way. Um, the Ontario Ministry of Education, their own statistic is 17%. Um, but again, it, dyslexia exists on a spectrum. So some people will have moderate difficulties with learning to read words and others will have extreme difficulties. So it really depends on where you draw that cutoff point. And uh, you say that it can be diagnosed as early as uh, kindergarten age. How do, they, how do they do that when the child doesn't know how to read yet? That's a fantastic question. So there's actually, it wouldn't be an official diagnosis for a child in kindergarten, but there are screening tools that are evidence-based screening tools that can be used. Um, looking at the underlying factors, um, the underlying cognitive processes that go into reading, and they can identify the kids who are at risk for extreme reading difficulties. Uh, using these screening tools. And they're short, uh, easy-to-administer screening tools that we could really be doing on every kindergarten ch ch child to select the kids who might go on to struggle even before we start to teach them to read and then just really keep an eye on those kids and offer them additional support all the way along so that their difficulties um, can be overcome. And I suppose the, the tools that you... Uh, decide to use all depends on the severity of uh, the dyslexia. Is that right? So it's not exactly a different set of tools for the severity of dyslexia. It's more about the amount of time and instruction and one-on-one -on -one support that children need. So one of the, um, the most interesting findings of, of science around reading in the last 30 years is that actually everyone learns to read the same way and everyone can benefit from the same type of instruction if we follow, you know, the scientific evidence-based um, type of instruction. And that is the type that everyone needs. But children with dyslexia just need more of that instruction and they need it in a more intense fashion. So in a smaller group or a one-on-one -on -one setting as opposed to the whole class. But we really could be using that method of instruction for all of the kids when they start in kindergarten and then selecting the kids that are at risk for reading difficulties and providing them with, with a little bit more of that instruction in small group. And then for that, that you know, final level that are going to have that extreme level of difficulty, also offering them a little bit of one-on-one -on -one help. You know, a while ago, I tried to teach someone uh, Braille. And um, Braille is, very, is based on... Uh, combinations of six dots. So you have uh, quite a few letters and short forms that are opposite to each other. And when I was trying to teach her, now she was an adult, uh, is an adult, and, uh, and I found that she was quite often turning things around and that when we reviewed what we had already covered, um, it didn't seem to to stick. So um, dyslexia, I guess, can affect um, 
people who are blind as easily as it can affect people who are uh, who have their sight. Have you ever uh, heard of that kind of a situation? Well, that would make sense. I, I don't have any experience at all with, with teaching Braille, but that would totally make sense because dyslexia is actually not a visual issue. So there's a common misperception that dyslexia is about seeing things backwards and that it's something wrong with the connection between the eyes and the um, you know, in the brain. And, and they've discovered quite clearly that that's not what dyslexia is. It's not a visual issue. It's a language processing issue, and it affects people of all visual abilities um, equally. So certainly there could be blind people with dyslexia as well. Yes. Um, so I found that interesting. Now, is October Dyslexia Awareness Month? Yes, yes. October is Dyslexia Awareness Month. Um, it's celebrated internationally in October. We have a number of um, cities in, in Ontario and some provinces in Canada that have made official proclamations of Dyslexia Awareness Month, uh, and so we're celebrating it as well. Now, one of the ways that Ontario is celebrating it, I think, although it may be more widespread than just Ontario, is with an event called Read October? Yes, absolutely. That is a, a campaign that we started to raise awareness for dyslexia. Um, it's, it's primarily in Ontario at this point, but we did have schools from across Canada that participated in our classroom awareness program that we did last week, which was very exciting. Um, and uh, through Read October, we are raising money to provide supports to public libraries in Ontario so that they can offer more dyslexia-friendly resources and information to the public. What kind of resources would, would that entail? So there's a number of things. We, we sent out some information, just general information for parents about the early warning signs of dyslexia so that they can audit in their children and ensure that their children get that support early. Uh, that's really important because if, um, if a child doesn't get help until they're in grade three or grade four, it takes quite a bit longer. The statistic I know is if they start to get uh, intervention in grade four, it takes four times as long for the child to catch up as it does if they start getting intervention in grade one. Um, so we're really trying to get the message out to parents. So some of it was, was that sort of information. And then we also um, provided a grant to libraries to purchase um, what are called decodable books. Um, and these are books that are written for um, beginning readers that introduce the letter found associations in English in a structured way. Um, so that the child doesn't need to try to remember, you know, all 44 sounds of English um, that are made up with 26 letters in, like, 200 different combinations of spelling. English is very complicated. Mm -hmm. So a decodable book instead introduces the sound-spelling combinations um, in an ordered way so that the child can master just a few and then add more on, and as they add more on, the text becomes more, um, more complex and more complicated. Mm -hmm. So these are a resource that are appropriate for really all beginning readers, but students with or kids with dyslexia really, really need to have access to that kind of book if they're going to be successful. Terrific. Okay. And is there, now we were talking about uh, schools, is there anything for, say, adults um, or teens that are, are struggling with 
dyslexia? Yeah, so in the in the information and resource selection that we gave to libraries to choose from, there is also a selection of books that are written for teens and, and young adults that are um, still in the learning to read phase. Um, and we provided a number of, of book titles that they could choose from that were general information about dyslexia. Um, additionally to that, we have on our website a number of resources that would be appropriate to um, assisting someone with learning to read at any age, um, in just including the, uh, the lesson plan for how you go about doing it. We have some, some webinars um, and resources that are available for that. So those would be appropriate for someone who's attempting to or trying to assist an adult with learning to read as well. Mm -hmm. And what uh, website would that be? That would be IDAontario.com. Okay, terrific. Are you, what other awareness um, events are you doing uh, during Read October? So we have a number of talks scheduled at public libraries across Ontario. Um, all of these talks are over Zoom, so a person could dial in by phone or they could join on a computer. Um, uh, to, to listen to the presentation, um, and those are um, discussion presentations, so people can come and answer questions. Uh, so we're doing that. I think there's one at the Ram Rama Public Library coming up soon, which I think might be the closest to Peterborough. I think Whitby Public Library we're also doing. That's close to Peterborough. Okay. Um, each of the libraries that are a part of the Read October campaign, so with our Read October funds that we generated last year, uh, along with other donations from um, from donors, we were able to provide funding to 62 public libraries, and you can find the list of those libraries on our website. So each of the libraries themselves will be doing something to raise awareness for dyslexia in October. Okay. Um, what kind of fundraisers uh, are you doing? So the the Rita October fundraiser is a it's a readathon. Um, and so individuals sign up um, as readers. They join the, fund, uh, the fundraiser through Canada Helps. And then they're creating for themselves a personally meaningful reading goal. A lot of the readers that are participating are dyslexic themselves. So this is not a contest to see who can get through the most reading. Mm -hmm. It's about setting a personally meaningful goal and working towards it through October. And then they are asking family and friends to donate to their Read October campaign. Okay. So people can either join as a, a reader or they can go to the um, to readoctober.com and uh, look at the list of readers and select someone to sponsor. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's still not too late to do those things? Oh, absolutely not. It runs all the way through October. Um, and, uh, of course, donations after October are also welcome. Uh, it was donations after October that really allowed us to expand our grant program to 62 libraries um, last year. So we raised our initial chunk during the Read October campaign last year, and then we were lucky enough to find donors to help match what we raised so that we could expand those grants. Terrific. That's great. Is there anything else happening during... Uh the Awareness Month? Uh, there's a lot of uh, buildings across Ontario and across Canada that are lighting up in red for dyslexia awareness. Ah. Um, red is the, the color that has been chosen for dyslexia awareness because it represents the 
the red ink that is on the teacher's page when you make mistakes mm-hmm. on a spelling test or yes. um, on a writing assignment, which is something that is um, uh, most people with dyslexia, myself included, are very familiar with. Uh-huh. So we've chosen to reclaim that color, and we're very excited. We have monuments um, across Canada. I think there are over 70 different um, buildings or monuments that are lighting up, including the CN Tower, okay. Niagara Falls. Um, we had Ottawa City Hall yesterday, so we're very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Uh, is there anything else that, uh, that you would like to touch on? I think the the only other thing I'd like to mention is that uh, currently the Ontario Human Rights Commission is um, completing a public inquiry into the way that individuals with dyslexia and other reading disabilities are being treated in Ontario schools. Um, Because as I said, you know, we have all of the information that we need to identify kids early and to prevent their reading difficulties from developing. But by and large, Ontario schools aren't doing this. We're not screening kids in kindergarten to select the ones that will struggle. And we're not using evidence-based instruction as a base layer for all children and then providing those extra layers of small group and one-on-one for the, the children who will need it to be successful. And unfortunately, the, the result of that is is that we currently have about a third of, of children in Ontario who are not reading well by the time they're in grade three, oh. and the majority of those children are going to have reading impairments for the rest of their life. So we are advocating very strongly for Ontario to change the way that they assess children for reading and the, the way that they um, teach children to read. And the Ontario Human Rights Commission has, for the past two years, been doing a public inquiry into our education system. Um, and their findings are expected in February. So I would just ask everyone to, to um, uh, when that comes out, uh, take a look at that. And, yeah. uh, and please um, consider contacting your MPP or school trustee, um, anyone to ask for better treatment for children with learning to read in Ontario. Yeah, definitely. My goodness, you'd think that they would um, really be aware of that sort of thing after all of these years, wouldn't you? Yeah. You would, because yeah. the information has been available for at least 20 years mm-hmm. to be able to do this, uh, but by and large, we haven't changed the way that we teach reading. They're still teaching reading using the same philosophy that they used in the 70s. Um, so there's so much information that has been learned from through science, um, and if we just took that and put it into our schools, it would solve an awful lot of problems for an awful lot of people. Oh, gosh, yes. Is there a petition or anything that anybody can add their uh, name to? You know, we, we will have one. We, we have one uh, uh, underway. Yeah. We were expecting that the human rights inquiry findings would be coming out in the fall, but they just announced a delay last week. Um, now they're saying that the results will come out in February. So when those results do come out, absolutely, we're going to have a petition asking, um, asking the Ontario government to... Um, undertake to implement all of the recommendations that will be included in that report. Um, I'm very confident that the Ontario Human Rights Commission um, has done a very good job with doing this research and that they understand the complexity of the issues and what needs to happen. Um, And I'm confident that their findings, if if we implemented their findings, I'm confident that that would really improve the lives of a lot of children. Uh, the problem is just getting the government to actually take that action. 
So when the findings come out in February, I would love to talk to you again and I can give yes. you the information about the petition then. Definitely, yeah. And uh, the uh, political parties better be listening because uh, June 2nd is our next Ontario election, so... I'm hoping that this makes it into an election issue because we really need to do something. It, yes. It's just, it's terrible that we're not. It, it is. It's disgraceful. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me and uh, hopefully uh, we get to, you get a lot more people checking out your website, which once again is... IDAontario.com Okay, terrific. Thanks so much, uh, Alicia, and we'll be definitely in touch uh, in the early in the new year. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that. Now, let us try to unravel the confusion that is somehow or for some reason associated with transit and transportation in the city of Peterborough. There are two studies happening and to talk to us about the first study is Vinod Soman who is senior project manager with regard to transportation and uh, he talks to us about a five phase phase study that is happening. So first of all Vinod, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you Devin. Thank you for the opportunity to speak about the Transportation Master Plan project to your listeners. Now I understand that there are two studies happening. So if I'm confused, I'm sure other people are confused. What does your project uh, entail? So the transit road review study deals with uh, transit route, the long-term transit growth strategies, and the downtown transit hub. Uh, Finally, the transportation master plan uh, will pull information from the uh, transit route study the cycling master plan and all the other transportation related studies and make a comprehensive document. That would be the uh, document which the city will be using as a guiding document for future investments in transportation. Okay. So you're in phase three now or starting phase three of the transportation master plan. What happened or, or what did you learn from, from phase one? Uh, during the phase one of the study, the team uh, was initially trying to develop a base for the study. So we developed the vision and objectives for the study. Uh, since this is a long-range plan, and it is important that we have the community and stakeholders on board to help set the direction of the study, we conducted multiple engagement events Uh, during the phase one. The team uh, also developed a set of performance criteria that help evaluate the transportation strategies which we developed in phase two. 
Okay? So let's move on then to phase two. What did that involve? So uh, the phase two, uh, we developed uh, several strategies. Uh, the team uh, did some quantitative analysis of uh, what the future uh, for the city is in terms of, uh, like we understand that the population will grow from uh, 82,000 people currently to 125,000 people. That is a 1.5 times increase in the population. And uh, in case of jobs, we are going to increase from 44,000 jobs to 59,000 jobs. So we are going to see a 1.3 times growth in jobs. So we evaluated what are the network deficiencies which we have in the current network uh, and what are the potential uh, improvements to the uh, transportation network we need to bring in to accommodate for all this uh, future population and employment and uh, growth of the city. That's what we did in phase two. Okay. Can you talk uh, a little bit about some of the deficiencies that you uh, found and what you're planning to do about those? Uh, yes. So, uh, during the phase uh, two, we found that uh, we, uh, as population grows, there are certain network deficiencies which we need to address. So, uh, during this phase, uh, the team conducted multiple engagements with the community members and uh, to evaluate what are the future vision for the city. So, it is important that we align uh, the vision for the city transportation master plan and then identify the uh, potential strategies which we can put in to solve the uh, network deficiencies. So uh, we identified that the city's uh, community, community wants to have a achieve uh, a higher model shift to more uh, sustainable mode of transport then the uh, community also want to have uh, safer transportation systems and uh, which are not capital intensive and less in maintenance cost and uh, the strategies could uh, also address uh, some of the uh, climate mitigation uh, goals uh, strategies uh, in place. And your transportation uh, master plan looks at um, uh, everything, and not just the transit, but also uh, walking and uh, uh, bike lanes and things like that, right? Uh, yes, that is right. Yeah. So, uh, as I previously said, uh, the transportation master plan would uh, receive inputs from other ongoing studies. Yes. Uh, and consolidate all the recommendations and provide a final uh, document which would guide the city for uh, all the investments in different modes. Okay. So now phase three is beginning and um, you're looking for, for public uh, input into this, are you? That's right. That's correct. And what will phase three look at? Uh, so... 
Uh, we received feedback uh, during the phase two, as I earlier mentioned, mm-hmm. and uh, we developed a set of strategies uh, which we are uh, hoping would uh, achieve some of those uh, model shift which the community wanted to see. Uh, the the strategies have the potential to achieve significant uh, shift to more sustainable modes and uh, uh, reduce capital cost, reduce uh, investments on road widening, uh, but some cost in trust operations. So during phase three, uh, we identified some strategies which will achieve all these objectives, including already reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are a set of uh, strategies we identified in phase two and through consultation uh, with the community, we were able to pin down and finalize some of these strategies. So I can uh, briefly highlight some of these strategies uh, now. Okay. Um, uh, is there a, a, a limited uh, period in which uh, public input can be sent in or, or given to you, or how, how is that working? Uh, so, uh, we conducted the uh, public open house for the Transportation Master Plan on uh, 29th of September. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, there is an online feedback form uh, which is available on the connectptbo.ca uh, website, which is the city's online engagement platform. So, uh, community members and stakeholders uh, would be able to provide input uh, to the study till October 8th, that is uh, Friday. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, and will there be any time after or any avenue after that that people will be able to send in any uh, feedback? Uh, yes. So, uh, uh, the, we are always welcoming feedback uh, to the project, and even though the cutoff date for providing online feedback is 8th of October, uh, we always welcome uh, community members to email any feedback to our uh, project email that is moveptpo, that is M O V E P T B O at peterbrod.ca. Move PTBO dot CA. Dot CA. Okay, terrific. Sorry, uh, I, I want to just mention that move PTBO at peterborough.ca. Oh, at peterborough.ca, yes. Yeah, so move PTBO at peterborough.ca. Terrific. Do you anticipate that there will be more phases as time goes along, or when do you think this study? you'll be bringing this study to a close. So uh, this uh, project was initially anticipated as in five phases. So uh, the phase one and two, as I said, is complete. And currently we are uh, at the end of phase three. Uh, Phase four and five are the two phases which are upcoming. In phase four, we would be identifying uh, some of the major infrastructure projects uh, and individual projects which uh, are important to be implemented in the next couple of 
years mm-hmm. and in phase 5 would be consolidating all the findings and uh, pol- uh, will be identifying all those policies strategies and the final report will be submitted in phase 5 so uh, we are expecting to complete the phase 5 in the uh, first quarter of uh, 2022 so in march 2022 we will be completing the project okay all right so if people have input they should uh, definitely get in touch with you is there anything else that uh, i should be asking you about um uh, i would be uh, happy for uh, if uh, members of the community can um, email me all the uh, feedback and after reviewing the material and presentation available on the uh, our project website which is again uh that is connectptbo.ca okay terrific and then they can email you at uh moptbo@peterbro.ca okay well thank you vinod uh, for uh, trying to help us untangle all the uh uh studies uh, happening <laughs> it's hard to keep up sometimes thank you Devin, for having me okay and perhaps we'll talk with you again sometime uh, thank you sure okay thank you bye bye now in addition to that study that five phase study that vinod spoke to us about if you take peterborough transit at all you'll know that there has definitely been some experimentation going on with regard to routes etc and uh, putting on buses and taking off buses and all of that sort of good stuff to sort that out for us I spoke with Laurie Stratton who is transit manager for the city of Peterborough and Trevor Pereira who is a supervisor for transit planning and workplace management and um they told me about some exciting things that are going to be happening that will involve you as a transit user directly uh both Lori and Trevor welcome back to the program thank you Devin great to be back thank you Devin so the last time Lori that I talked about doing an interview with you you said well let's wait to see if uh council um is uh, in agreement with the route that uh we're um suggesting the route changes that we're suggesting so can you kind of catch us up a little bit um as to maybe some of the changes you've made and uh, the ones that uh, I guess you wouldn't have made them if council hadn't agreed with them so can you kind of um summarize and catch us up a bit one of you I don't know who would rather do that 
So it's probably something we can do together. Um, you know, it, the story started a little bit before these most recent changes. I think uh, we talked a, a while ago about how long the reconstruction of the transit uh, system in Peterborough has been un- underway. And there have been multiple periods of change in 2012. In 2016, the review of the specialized van services and increasing hours of service, the introduction of the Fleming U-Pass, the introduction of the first community bus with some fairly limited hours in 2018, some renovations at the transit terminal in 2016, the customer waiting areas, those sorts of items. Um, So lots lots of phases have built in before what I would call, we had the Transit Stop Upgrade Program, seven in 2018, where a bunch of the uh, stops were upgraded with the fully accessible concrete pads. There were new solar-powered shelters put in. So lots of things happened before the major route review and long-term growth strategy was launched in the fall of 2018. Mm -hmm. The purpose of that was to address some of the long-standing issues that the public was making uh, clear that they wanted. They wanted them reviewed. They wanted changes made. They said the system, the the old forty-minute uh, hub network, radial network, going in and out and in and out, it wasn't working uh, for them. The travel times across the city were too long. They weren't moving out into new areas that were growing. New subdivision areas weren't having any service. Um, that. Everything was centralized around the terminal, and while maybe that meant fewer transfers, it meant long travel times for a lot of the trips, and often missed trips at the terminal, and buses running behind schedule frequently. Um, And then, you know, people were also saying accessing major destinations outside the downtown core was particularly complicated in the old system, and the terminal itself had reached capacity, no space for additional routes, passenger waiting platforms were at capacity during peak, buses were backing out, which presents both a safety risk and and an impact to on-time performance. So, and then it was looking at what the ridership trends were. So in 2018, with all of of those concerns at the forefront, the route review and long-term growth strategy was launched to address those. Um, there was a lot of public consultation um, in the winter-spring of uh, 2019, and again through the fall and winter of 2021, more engagement. Of course, with the pandemic, a lot of it was virtual. Yes. And then all of the recommendations were put together and submitted to council in a report in July of 2021 when council approved the move to the grid network. Trevor can tell you more about that. Okay. You want to go ahead, Trevor? Yeah, yes. Um, so with the, uh, with the, with the, the grid network that we put in, um, we took the opportunity to basically see um, redesign the routes in a way in order to basically move people um, more directly to where they were trying to get to based on some of the travel patterns that we were seeing. And so there was um, um, different ways for people to get to different different spots. Some locations were now served by multiple routes as opposed to being served by one. Um, so there was a, lots of different ways for people to get through. And we also took the opportunity to try and you know, increase the frequencies at 
day, certainly in the rush hours, uh, we went from having um, most of the routes being at 40-minute frequencies to more along the lines of 30-minute frequencies. Um, and right now, we're at the point where all of our morning rush hour services actually at 30-minute frequency at least, and our afternoon service is, our afternoon rush hour service, um, all of the routes are at 30-minute frequency except for one of them. Um, so um, we have introduced more 30-minute frequency in the middle of the day, some 30-minute frequency even going into the evenings and even on the weekends in some of the routes. Um, so we also try to put in higher frequencies on um, like the key shopping corridors for, for customers and introduce some additional community buses in order to try and move some passengers faster through different areas. Um, so we've, we, we were looking at different opportunities to try and 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 improve, take steps to improve the way how we are delivering service now and going into the vision of the future so we can build out the service and add more, more service onto the base that we've got right now. And Devin, yeah. to, that, to that end, I will say there are still two critical remaining components, one which is a long-term growth strategy to understand what will be required to grow transit to meet the needs of the community in the future, and the other will be the downtown transit terminal redesign or relocation project. Those are still um, ongoing, and of course, the long-term growth strategy dovetails with the ongoing uh, transportation master plan as well. So how frequently is the downtown terminal being used now? Well, then I'm gonna I'm gonna go over to Trevor with with the answer to this. Right now the downtown terminal has been closed for some time due to ongoing construction. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, so so it's it's actually been closed to bus traffic. We are we are actually working out on the street at this time, but I think there's something that's really important for customers to understand, um, which is that there is still a great deal of service that runs into the downtown core to access all of the shops, all of the services, work, all of those kinds of things, everything the area has to offer. It's just not all concentrated at the transit terminal. So it can be on all of the cross streets going through downtown. So rather than it just being focused on the terminal, there's lots of service that goes through the downtown. And I think that's sort of an important piece for everyone to remember. Trevor can talk about the levels of service going through the downtown as well and what those services do for you, Devin. Okay. Yeah, Devin, so, so one of the things that uh, we have is um, right now, as Lori indicated, um, the buses are, are predominantly out on the street, are out on Simcoe Street right now. That's during this construction phase. Um, and we are hopeful that when uh, sometime in the year in November, we'll be able to start going back underneath the, the canopy at the, at the terminal. Um, of the routes that we have in there uh, at the terminal right now, um, we have um, basically there's I guess five mainline uh, five mainline routes sort of go in there. Plus, there's a sort of a, 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 a another service that we run during the school year that's also running right now in in and out of that particular facility. So there's six of them, but we will end up basically putting most of the services back underneath the, the canopy at the terminal. Um, there, the two routes that will probably end up remaining out on Simcoe Street will be one of this this university ones where the buses are always going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That will probably be out on the street still. And uh, there's another route which is um, um, at least in the one direction uh, will stay out there. And again, that's a, it's a 
the, the university end of it. The other routes, which are predominantly the ones that go through um, more residential areas, uh, at those routes are, are likely to be back underneath the terminal as soon as it opens back up. Now, as far as frequencies go, um, as I said before, our rush hour services are predominantly at 30-minute uh, frequencies in the, in the rush hours and on weekdays uh, at the terminal. Um, and um, of, of the routes that are going in there, the, the route that goes to the hospital, which is our route number four, that runs at 30-minute frequency also midday on weekdays. Um, and in the evening, it, and ev evening and weekends, it runs at hourly frequency. Uh, we have um, uh, the route number five service. Uh, that route it basically runs between the terminal and uh, sort of down the sort of southwest corner of the city. Um, that run pretty much runs hourly, uh, sorry, half, 30 minute service, um, brush hour, midday, and evenings and weekends. It runs it hourly. The number six route, um, which is our Sherbrooke route, that one runs at 30 minute service um, seven, to, seven days a week. All day long. Uh -huh. It's a very popular service, and that's mm -hmm. that's one of the ones that we we needed to make sure that it's running at thirty minute frequency all day long, which is actually sort of a first for for the community because they actually have a thirty minute service running seven days a week like that. Mm -hmm. We also we also have um, route number two. Route number two is the this is our Shalom service, and that one is a very popular service because it tends to basically service the entire Shalom shopping corridor. Um, and that, those are, have proven to be very popular. They tend to service um, 
more direct service towards some of the retirement centers and retirement residences, um, uh, senior centers. Um, they serve the hospital. They all serve the hospital, um, and they serve um, a lot of the plazas and the malls directly. They actually go right onto property, and they basically are trying to provide you with a, um, something different than what the conventional buses are doing, which is sort of going past out in the street. Mm-hmm. And those buses run once an hour. Okay. Those are all the different types of things that we've that we've that we've been trying to do, and we've been now that customers are starting to come uh, basically out of their homes and, and their residences because they're allowed to now. Yes. <laughs> we're uh, we're 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 seeing our riders are 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 starting to come back. Uh, we're hoping that more riders will come back um, as they start to you know see what we're able to offer. Um, and uh, and as businesses are opening, and uh, we're we're ready, more than ready to, to basically manage or, or look at the, how the ridership is returning, how, the, how our residents are, are returning to transit, and we will are, are ready to um, make changes in order to add value for the way that people are riding. Okay. So, have you organized things such that? People won't necessarily have to be standing outside for a whole hour in the as the weather turns colder and snowier. So I'm going to say, uh, Devin, a lot of the changes that Trevor has talked about, the increases in frequency, actually were rolled out in September, and so they've really reduced transfer times. Um, they reduce those, those wait times, those connection point times. So I think people will see uh, a marked difference in that across the system. One of the things we can, if we're going to talk about what's next, that's part of what's next. So changes of, you know, they're big, and they've taken a, a long time um, to lay out, and they've gone through a pretty exhaustive process of tweaking um, but we have some exciting things on the horizon that I think will also be great for customers around an opportunity when it comes to um, wait time. If I can, if I can share some of that. Yeah, definitely. Go ahead. So one of the things that we'll be looking for is um, launching our on-demand transit pilot project prior to the end of 2021. The first phase of this launch that was approved by council will involve a couple of buses um, targeted to service the area of the east and southeast community of the city, which is an area that we heard a lot from fo of folks from that they were looking for some very targeted service. One of the benefits of on-demand is that it is, it's a smart-thinking program so that when people call in for a ride, it will, and as people continue to call in, it's a shared ride service where the program will actually help the driver navigate to the closest safe stop location along along any given, in any given area, approved stop location, and it will navigate to reduce the wait time for customers, and then they will have a more direct trip to the location they want to get to. So... That's the first phase of on-demand. Um, Trevor can actually talk a little bit 
more about what that looks like for the public. But one of the other pieces of that, when you mentioned, was stops and shelters. Uh-huh. And the team will be conducting a full review of all of the current stops and shelters locations across the system to create more customer and accessible friendly infrastructure. That is a big undertaking. We are going to have to ask for the public to be patient while we go through that. Um, you know, one of the things that's complicated about transit is that for it to be successful, it has to keep changing and evolving as the community changes and evolves and as the needs of our customers um, change and evolve and as new areas of growth pop up across the city. So we are going to ask for everyone's patience while we go through the stop and shelter review, while we take a look at our infrastructure. Because the technical rollout date for the grid is not until May, we have some time to take a look at the system and see where we can target things to make customers' weights more comfortable for them. But I will let I will let Trevor talk about um, uh, what I think is really exciting. Please let's not confuse it with the old dial bus. Um, <laughs> it's not the same. That's just a forty foot taxi, and that's not what we're looking at. Technology has come so far, and I let Trevor, if you'd like to speak to that. Uh, so the so the on demand component uh, provides um, customers with the opportunity to basically sort of almost sort of like book a trip. From a start location to another location with inside of a defined area, um, and the defined area, at least as far as this this pilot goes, is probably is going to be inclusive of the downtown area, and servicing this area, this southeast area of the city, east and southeast area of the city that Lori was talking about, and uh, with what, what this will offer is the ability for the, the the customer to either go either online or through a, a just making a phone call, um, and uh, we will help with the booking for uh, the customer. They can either do it directly or we can help them with it in order to basically book the trip. They, they will provide the customer with a basically uh, an approximate pickup time and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a destination time. The customer has the opportunity to identify you know, when they would prefer to be picked up, um, or sorry, if they would prefer to be picked up at a particular time or get to a location at a particular time, and then the system will actually sort of do that calculation in order to say this is how long it will take for that vehicle to, to when it will come by to pick them up and, and drop them off. And same similarly on the way home. So what this does is this, instead of having a vehicle that just sort of kind of does uh, sort of a loop that sort of goes around in once an hour, this is the way how it's always doing it. What this does is this allows this, this bus to basically be a lot more reactive. So it might go into an area maybe uh, on a shorter period of time um, because maybe a certain person, maybe today I'm not riding today or tomorrow, but I'm only riding on a Wednesday, but doesn't have to come and into my area every like on the, on the Monday or the Tuesday unless somebody has registered that. It allows for that trip to be put by that bus to be used in a different area at a, maybe at a higher frequency. So it, what it, it does is it allows for us to provide a much more focused type of service for the customer. Um, and as time goes on, we're hopeful that this particular model will be able to help us out. At times of the day where ridership tends to be sort of lower, a little bit, not as, not as, not as, as, easy to sort of 
people. We want this is a way for us to also attract people because you know they might be a, they don't they don't want to get out there to the stoplight, like Laurie's saying, and just sort of wait for an extended period for it. This will take them to where they want to go. But this is a there's some some real opportunities here that we see in addition to what we're already doing. This is sort of an added layer, and that's how we're sort of seeing this. Well, sounds very exciting. And uh, when do you think that this will come into being? We're hoping by well, it will be by the end of 2021. We're working. We have we're working with Via Transportation, who did a similar rollout in the Niagara region area. Ah, been very been very successful. If people want to take a look at that project, um, we were very you know careful as we moved forward with this to make sure that we had a good fit for Peterborough. It's easy to talk about a service, but it has to be something that really targets. A specific area. One of the things that Via um, is very concerned about is communication and 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 providing the kind of assistance that we would need for for our seniors, for um, for folks who feel maybe a little bit marginalized, a little bit frustrated. Um, we want to be sure that they get what they need, and Via Via is going to be an outstanding partner in delivering on that for them. You're saying Via, as in Via Rail. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> no, people keep saying that. I guess I'm so used to saying it, Devin. No, it's called Via Transportation. So it's nothing to do with Via Rail. It is um, it's its own entity, um, and it delivers um, targeted transit, micro-transit, they call this, micro-transit solutions. Okay. So now say as someone... Uh, who has a, a wheelchair or a walker or whatever, uh, wanted to book a trip. Uh, would they book it with a handy van or call the, um, I don't want to call it dial-a-bus, but um, <laughs> you know, bus on demand. Yeah. That's what transit you, on demand. Transit on demand. Yeah. So they'd have two options. So the great thing about the transit, one of the things we heard from a lot of our accessible customers was that in in prior years there had been some frustration around the length of time it could take to book. Uh-huh. This is going to give a day of, hour of opportunity. Uh-huh. So they, they're going to be able to avail themselves of both options. Okay. Seven days a week? Yeah, so it's going to be in a targeted location. The service just during the pilot phase. We'll, we're going to see how it goes and see where else it can be used effectively. We want to be sure. We want to be sure that it's rolled out to folks that they like it, that it's working well, that um, the people who try the pilot come in knowing this is a pilot, share their feedback with us so we can learn from it. Um, you know, make it as good as we can before we start potentially putting it in other in other areas. So. Um, so the, it's to a very targeted area. It is, uh, is it seven days a week, yes, Trevor? So it, so it is seven days a week, Devin, uh, but uh, it does have a limited uh, amount of hours. Um, it's we're on weekdays weekdays and Saturdays. We're probably going to be running it from about 9 o'clock until about, um, but it'll be finishing around 1700, sorry, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh-huh. Um, and um, the... On Sundays, it's probably from about ten o'clock till about uh, five o'clock in the afternoon. It's very. So this is a as it is right now. We are 
running this as more as a complemented service that's similar to the other community bus, the traditional community bus hours of service that we are running. This is sort of a it's a it's a different sort of approach um, of a of a community bus hours. I guess we're in this area that we're that we're trying out right now. That's where this is going. Okay. And then when we're ready to roll this out, I hope you'll welcome us back and perhaps even our partners at VIA so that we could talk more about the service and 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 um, and get your get your listeners uh, to maybe to, you know to, to even to bring out questions to you that you can share with us because. You know, you're a, a, a voice within the community. You know, a lot of folks within the community, and that would that would be helpful. So we'd love to talk about it further um, before launch. Well, that would be good. You just uh, keep my number on hand and uh, or email address, and uh, let me know when it would be good for you to do that. Absolutely, we'll do that, Devin. Okay. Um, are there any other uh, exciting things that you wanted to talk about today? No, I just what I think you know. A lot has happened. It's been a frustrating eighteen months for people. Um, we've appreciated their patience. We've appreciated the input that we've received. Um, we are excited about having um, our our um, live app, so our real time bus app, coming very early in the new year. That's exciting for us. So we'll move from what people have now, which was definitely a step up, which was we got on Google Transit. We've got on a couple other apps, Transit app it's called. Um, so we're out there to, for people to check our schedules, to plan their trips, but this is going to give them real time early in the new year. That'll be very exciting. We'll be rolling out our cameras on our buses to make sure that we ha are held to the highest level uh, safety standard for our customers and for all of our staff. So there's lots more to come in the new year, and maybe um, there's a good opportunity when we when we come back to talk about transit on demand. We can also take the opportunity, you know, to to give a glimpse into what January February will look like too for customers. Yeah, that sounds good. Now, are these apps accessible now to blind people? Do you know? So when we when we were at Council for Persons with Disabilities, and I don't want to misspeak, but I do want to get back to you with the right answer. Okay. Um, we we actually provided a number of um, of bits of information, but I believe they also communicated with us that there is a way to use these that are accessible. Um, I'm not the expert in it, but Devin, let me actually. What I'll do is I'll email you that so you can share how that content works. We, we do all our routes, um, climbing through CPD. All of our routes uh, have videos online, and they also have turn-by-turn -turn navigation documents that CPD kindly made accessible for, for, um, for the community. So we can certainly provide any of, those, any of those pieces of information to you, and you can share them out with your listeners. Okay. Yeah, I'll be happy uh, to do that. Um, that'll be great. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about at the moment? Not, not from, not from me. I just think look for more around the downtown transit terminal, and look for more about about long term growth strategy and investment in transit that dovetails with the uh, with the transportation master plan as it rolls forward. Okay. 
Well, this sounds very exciting, and uh, we'll be uh, looking forward to hear uh, to hearing how things uh, are rolling out, and um, anything that we can do to <coughs> excuse me, and any way that we can help um, get the information out to the public uh, for you, we'll uh, certainly do that. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much, Devin. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. And that will just about do it for another episode of Insight Peterborough. Thank you for joining me and for listening, and I do hope that you'll be able to be with me again next week. Until then, take good care, and bye for now.